name's Jake. I'm one of the pastors on the team. So glad to be with you here. How are we? We're doing pretty good? All right. You guys made it on, uh, what's this day called? Spring Forward Day. All right. Daylight Savings Day. So extra round of applause for you. Because it's like you came at 945, and that's early, right? So good job, everybody. Extra Jesus points. If you have your Bible, you can head over to the book of Nehemiah. Um, online campus would love to invite you over to live.bellway.org. You can click on the Bible, little tool there, and you can follow along with us. North Campus, South Campus, you guys have Bibles under the seat in front of you. If you didn't bring your Bible, I highly recommend using those. They're special devices that we've put in chairs that are actually perpetually on do not disturb mode, and they're called books. And so you open them, and then, you know, you don't get notifications. So you can read without notifications. So I highly, highly recommend those. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be preaching from Nehemiah. And as I've prepared and prayed, I just really want today's message and next weekend's message just to be a blessing to you. I want you to be encouraged and lifted up and called up because as I was thinking and praying, I really feel like a lot of us here, we don't we don't really, when it comes down to it, we don't really feel like we can, we can actually be used by God in any kind of a significant way. Like, we, we kind of struggle with that. Like, man, I, I'm, I'm just ordinary. I'm just a regular person. I can't be used by God in any kind of a, I can't have some big calling. Like, I'm not Moses. I can't do plagues and miracles and all that. I'm not Solomon with this wisdom. I'm not the Apostle Peter who had so much of the presence of God on him that his shadow was healing people. I'm not Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or maybe it's closer to home. I'm not my granddad. I'm not my mom. I'm not my brother or my friend who is just so talented and gifted and used by God in amazing ways. That's not me. I'm just ordinary. Many of us are paralyzed by this thought. God can't possibly use me. I'm too ordinary. Have you ever thought that before? Ever felt that? Believe it or not, um, this is a thought that's plagued me my whole life. I I'm told that I come off as a pretty confident guy, but internally, I've always struggled with this, this idea that I'm just not good enough to be used by God, just too ordinary to be used by God. And it, especially the battle kind of gets really at a high pitch when, when God is calling me to something significant, when he's asking me to take a step of faith, I, I start to doubt even more and more. Like, God, you're calling me? You want me to go be a missionary in China? No way. Like, me? I can't do that. There's like hundreds of thousands of other people who are so much more qualified than I am. I can't. I'm from West Texas. I barely speak English. I can't possibly go learn Chinese. That's ridiculous, right? When God was calling me to preach earlier than even calling me to go to China, I remember thinking there's no way I could possibly preach. I'm so, I get so terrified of public speaking. I'm like, no, this is true. No joke. I used to be just so scared of public speaking. I, you know, I, in speech class or any class, if it was three people or 30 people, it didn't matter. I would just be shaking and I'd be stuttering. Like, this is a true story. One time I was... Uh, I was a senior in high school, and um, I was in the National Honor Society because it was a small school. And I was in there, and I was 
secretary or treasurer or vice president. I don't really remember. But my wife, Erin, who wasn't my wife then because that would have been weird because we were in high school. But my wife, my now wife, Erin, was the president of the National Honor Society because you have to aim high. Right? You have to marry up. If you married up, say amen. If you didn't say amen, you're getting in trouble. I'm not even going to give you another, another chance on that, all right? So I married up, and my wife was the president of the National Honor Society. Anyways, we were doing this ceremony, and I was supposed to say, like, a few things. It was like a three-minute deal. And then I was supposed we were all doing it. Then I was supposed to light a candle right in front of the, the podium or the lectern, okay? And so I was shaking like this when I was, had my little note card, and I got through that. And it was about three and a half minutes. And then I come around, and I'm going to light this candle, but I'm shaking so much that that I can't get this God-forsaken candle to light, and I'm bumping it, and so this candle is slowly leaning over, like, like leaning Tower of Pisa style, you know what I'm talking about? Almost, and I'm starting to think if I do light it, and then I bump it, it's going to be a different kind of party, you know? And so I'm just shaking, and my wife, who's cool as a cucumber, and is just probably inside saying, this guy, right? She comes around, and she's like, puts her hand on my hand and helps me light this candle, calmly straightens it. And she's like, good job. <laughs> Go. You're done. And she continues with the thing. I can't believe she said yes to a date with me after that. But I tricked her. All right. I used to be terrified of public speaking. And when God called me, I'd be like, man, I was, ah, oh, God, I, I'm too ordinary. I can't be used by God. When I felt like God was calling me to go take a church in Wisconsin, Green Bay, Wisconsin, I thought, no way. I, I can't do that. I don't, I don't have any kind of special talent to bring to this team. I can't, I can't do that. I'm not going to move to the frozen tundra to, like, turn this church around. I don't even like the Packers. I thought I'd get more amens on that. I still have some generational bitterness from the ice bowl. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some old-timers like, amen. I said, like, I can't do this. For Speaking of the Packers, it's, we have this mentality about the kingdom of God like it's an NFL draft. And God's looking for really talented people to get on his team to help him win. Like it's our ability that determines our value. To the mission of Jesus Christ on planet earth. He's looking for stars, first round draft picks, somebody who can help him win. And it makes us go, man, that's not me. I'm just ordinary. But, but listen close for a second. You may think you're too ordinary to be used by God, too basic to have a calling, to do something significant in this world. But the truth is that God majors in minor people. Can some minor people say amen this morning? All right. Some of you think you're major people. We'll get there. Think about the disciples. The disciples were not first-round draft picks by any stretch of the imagination. They were just common people. We, we learned that, and, and it really just kind of hits home in Acts chapter 4 when uh, Peter and John are in front of the Sanhedrin, which is like the religious rulers of the day, and they're being threatened and beaten and told not to speak in the name of Jesus, and yet they're standing boldly, and they're saying, we're going to do what God wants us to do, and they're not, they're not being shaken. And, and the religious rulers, they go, what's going on? They're astonished. They're amazed. Why? Because they perceived that they were just ordinary 
common, uneducated men. Because the truth is God majors in minor people. He calls ordinary people to make an extraordinary difference for him in our world. Ordinary people. And listen, if you're like top of your class, like first round draft pick, voted most likely to succeed, if you're that type of a person, we don't even want you. I'm just kidding. God wants you, okay? But God absolutely majors in minor people. He uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. His power, his strength is made perfect, not in any talent or inherent ability I bring to the team to help it win, but rather his power is made perfect in my what? Weakness. He majors in minor people. That's why I love Nehemiah. He's this ordinary guy doing extraordinary things. He's not a prophet, a priest, or a king. He's just, he's cupbearer to the king. If you don't know what that is, you can kind of research it this Week, but basically he's in charge of the process by which food and drink makes it to the king's table, kind of secret service kind of situation. And he has to stake his life on it. He has to drink the drink that the king is about to drink. I said drink a bunch in that sentence, but you know what I mean. And then he he's eat, you know, he has to eat the food right before the king does. He has to make sure there's no poison in it. So there's like a lot of there's like a high turnover in this job. And nobody wants it, and you have to be brave, and you have to be trustworthy. And Nehemiah is doing this cupbearer thing. And so he's, he's doing the cupbearer thing, and, and he hears about something that j- he just can't shake it. It just sticks with him. It kind of gets stuck in his craw, and he's compelled. Have you ever been there? Like, you see things all the time that are happening that you don't really get involved in. But then there's that one thing. You just can't shake it. That's... That's like your thing. You're like, oh, man, I'm compelled. I got to move. I got to do something. Nehemiah is in that spot. Let me kind of set the stage as far as history goes or the, the narrative of the Bible goes. Nehemiah lived after the people of Israel were exiled twice, once by the Assyrians and once by the Babylonians. And so Nehemiah, he's a Jew living in Babylon. And he's in the book of Nehemiah, we're just a few hundred years from Christ being born. So we're at the very end of the Old Testament narrative, the very end. Okay, so here's what happened. 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar uh, invades Jerusalem. It gets totally destroyed. Temple wall, city, everything destroyed, and people are exiled, taken away. Then 539 BC, after 70 years of captivity, this is the 70 years that Jeremiah the prophet prophesied about, right? And that's included in your favorite coffee cup verse that you have on your wall and on your t-shirts and you talk about it all the time. Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and give you a hope and a future. You guys know that verse? Well, 29:10 says that the plans God has for you actually include 70 years of captivity and slavery. So I'm just saying when you pray that, you should be careful, you know. You, it includes captivity. Okay, so 539 B.C., a remnant makes it back after that 70 years prophesied by, Jerem, or by yeah, Jeremiah. And then they succeed in rebuilding the temple in about 516 B.C. Okay, that's Ezra. You can read Ezra. Ezra then tries to rebuild the walls, can't do it. It's very difficult. Another 70 years passes, and there's no wall. People are attacking the remnant in Jerusalem from all directions. 
It's really, really bad in Jerusalem. Enter Nehemiah, living a good life, eating the king's food, cupbearer to the king, trusted advisor. And he gets some news from a caravan of people coming back from Judah, from Jerusalem. Look at Nehemiah 1 verse 3. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So they go, hey, the remnant's not doing, Nehemiah, the remnant is not doing well. It's really, really bad. These people are trying to rebuild the promised land, their homeland, and people are attacking them. The wall's down. It's not working. There's no plan, no protection, no hope. They're desperate. So put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. He could have easily brushed this off, right? Like, oh, that's, man, that's bad news. That's, but that's them over there. They decided to go back. I stayed. I don't, I don't really have anything to do with that. That's not really my problem. That's on them. I'm here. They're over there. Not my circus. Not my monkeys. Right? But what do you do when something you see kind of breaks your heart? You know, God wants to do something to make it right. And you start to have this inclination, this feeling, like you're supposed to be a part of that something that God wants to do. Like your good God has a good work for you to do. What do you do when you see something that just bothers you and you can't shake it anymore? Maybe you're there right now. You've seen something. God's opened your eyes and you're going, man, I got to do something about this. Maybe you're feeling like God is calling you to something. But you're thinking, man, I don't, I, I'm just me. I can't, I don't even know where to start. I don't, I don't know what to do. Let's see what Nehemiah does. Ordinary guy, not a prophet, priest, or king. See something bad happening far away. Can't shake it. Look at verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. So this group from Judah comes and says, Nehemiah, it's not going well. Everything is going bad in Jerusalem. There's no plan, no protection, no hope. They're attacking from all sides. We, we need some help. I don't think it's going to work, Nehemiah. I don't think we're ever going to get the promised land, the homeland back. Ezra tried to build the wall. It didn't work. I, it's just not happening, Nehemiah. We need some help. And Nehemiah hears all of this. And he just cries. He weeps, he mourns for days. This week and next week, we're talking about calling, God calling you. And God calls people to a thousand different things, right? But there's one thing that's always the same. At the center of a calling from God is a people, a person a child, a human being or a group of human beings who are made in the image and in the likeness of God. So what do you do when your God calls you to help a people or to right a wrong? You feel their pain because they're a people. And you mourn and you cry because they're human beings like you. Beloved, it's not a head thing, it's a heart thing. Don't skip over this. You, you feel their pain. You don't jump right into a strategy because you're not called to a strategy. You're called to a people. 
You don't jump right into planning because you're not called to planning. You're called to a person. You don't jump right into methods because you're not called to methods. You're called to men and women. Are you hearing me? You feel their pain. Nehemiah heard all this and he didn't immediately go, man, that's really bad news. Let's have a strategy session. Get everybody in here. Let's come up with a 30-day action plan. Let's come up with a five-year strategy. Hey, how can we get sustainable wall-building practices and techniques to the people of Jerusalem? Maybe we can do a seminar, you know, hold a, a, like a sword in one hand, a shovel in the other. Maybe we can teach. That's not what he does. He just weeps. He allows his heart to be broken for the people. I mean, Nehemiah was in a comfortable place, wasn't he? A thousand miles away from the problem, eating the king's food. He could have easily brushed this off. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm way too quick to brush stuff off. Like I see devastation and tragedy across the world, and I, I just scroll on past it. I may, I may say a prayer, but that's about it. War, natural disaster, genocide, whatever it is. Like speaking of walls, I can sometimes have walls around my heart that doesn't let this stuff in. I'm like, well, man, it really stinks to be them. Gosh. Whew. Glad I'm here, though. And I'm glad I'm where I'm at. I mean, God is really taking care of me, though. Man, that's too bad. What a shame. I hate to hear it. I feel really badly for them, but at least my life is okay over here. Hashtag blessed, right? Nehemiah didn't do that. He could have done that, but he didn't. He wept. He allowed his heart to be broken for the people. Makes me think of Jesus in Matthew 9. Jesus is looking out on a people, not a project, a people. And it says that his heart is moved for them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. It reminds me of John chapter 11 where Lazarus dies and Jesus raises him back to life. You remember that? He's ministering. Jesus is a couple days journey from where Lazarus is. He hears about Lazarus getting sick. He doesn't rush to Lazarus. Then he hears he's dead. He goes and he knows what he's going to do. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus back to life. He knows he's about to perform this amazing miracle. And yet when he gets there, he sees everybody's crying and weeping. There's pain everywhere. And he knows he's about to take that pain away. And yet look at what verse 33 says. In John chapter 11, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. I mean, even though he knew he was about to raise Lazarus back from Death, he, Jesus wept because of the pain he saw in the people he loved and Mary and Martha and others. He, he wept. So what breaks your heart? Maybe it's nations and people groups that don't have the Bible in their heart language. Maybe it's victims to human trafficking. Maybe it's single moms who can't afford to get food on the table, they can't afford to do childcare, but they need a job to get, or they need childcare to get a job. It's just a difficult situation. Maybe, that's, maybe that breaks your heart. Maybe it's children without a safe home to go to. 
What would cause you to weep? If you want to get me to cry, which I don't know why you would want to get me to cry, that would be rude. But if you wanted to get me to cry, to weep, you only have to talk about that last one I mentioned. Kids without a safe home to go to. I remember when my wife Erin and I were kind of hit with the realization of the foster care crisis in our nation. Now there are hundreds of thousands of kids that just don't have a safe home to go to. And we just, man, we just wept. We just sat down and we just cried. And we prayed and we asked God what to do and we felt like he said we were supposed to be foster parents and so we became foster parents and when we got licensed we told our agency we said hey we're going to take ages 5 to 10 you can kind of tell them the parameters and we said we're going to take ages 5 to 10 we feel like that'll fit our family which is plenty of kids because actually the majority of kids needing foster care needing homes are in that age range and we don't have a lot of foster families that are willing to take them usually foster families go two and under or three and under or something like that and so we thought five to ten would be good and and then we got this call about this girl, 15 years old, so not in the 5 to 10. And she had just been through the most horrible of things. She didn't know her dad, her mom had died, and she had just witnessed her boyfriend get shot to death. She was an inner city girl. She was rough. I mean, we're, ta- we're asking all these questions, and every answer is telling us we shouldn't take this girl. And I remember getting off, getting off the phone and just weeping. I remember Aaron and I talking to each other and we said, what? if we're not doing this for a girl like this, then what are we in this for? And so we prayed and we, we took her in. And man, God did amazing transformation in the year that she was in our family. This is This is her getting baptized. I thought you might clap for that. Yeah. God did some amazing things. Listen, this is what breaks my heart. What breaks yours? What would cause you to weep? And you can't act on everything that pulls at your heartstrings. I I get that. But sometimes we act on nothing because we can't act on everything right? It's called compassion fatigue. It's a real thing. You can look it up. We're so connected and inundated at all times with all these requests and tragedies and difficulties that we just become numb to it. And because we can't do everything, we do nothing. And that's not good either. So don't brush it off. Don't just try to move on. Feel their pain. Let it in. Let it crush you. Because maybe God's calling you to do something about it. Feel their pain. Look at what else Nehemiah um, does when he starts to feel the Lord's calling him to do something, to make a difference in this world. Look at the rest of verse 4. The first of it says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God 
of heaven. So Nehemiah, here's the news. It's really bad for our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. No protection, no plan, no hope. And he, he doesn't brush it off. He feels their pain. And then he immediately begins fasting and praying. Because when God breaks your heart for a people, you don't go straight from pain to planning. You feel the pain of earth, and then you run to the God of heaven. Because that's the only shot you have. That's what Nehemiah did. When, he, when God calls me to do something, most of the time I think, who am I to do this? So many more qualified people. You're going to need a first rounder for this, God, and I ain't that. Maybe your reaction is the same. So who are you to do this? Nobody. I mean, who am I to do? Nobody. Who are you to, to carry out a calling from God to make a significant difference in this world? Are you kidding me? You're nobody. I'm really good at encouraging people when I preach. It's a gift. You're welcome. No, but really, I'm nobody. You're nobody. But me and God, that's different. You and God, now that, that's, that's different. Listen, I don't know who you're called to. I don't know what people you're called to. I don't know if, it's, if you're called to, to go across the, the, the world or you're called to go across the street or across the office. I, I don't know, but, but I do know what it feels like to think you're too ordinary to be used by God. Just an ordinary Joe with ordinary abilities and ordinary problems. So I want you to hear this. You're right. You can't do anything by yourself and you're not supposed to. But... If you have the spirit and power of God at work in you, now that changes things. The same spirit, Ephesians says, that was at work in Jesus Christ, raising him from the dead. The same spirit that knit together his broken body. The same spirit that defeated death once and for all. You have that spirit at work in you. And that changes things, doesn't it? That changes things. It takes the weaknesses that have become excuses that have paralyzed me and kept me from taking a step of faith. It takes those weaknesses and it makes them into the very power and strength of God. Because in, his, in my weakness, he is strong. In my ordinary, he's extraordinary. That you got to run to him. When you feel the pain of earth, you got to run to the God of heaven. Like Nehemiah, but man, I struggle with this. I'm like a take the hill, let's get going, let's get moving, let's at least start planning to figure out what we're going to do, jump into action pretty quick kind of guy. So sometimes I can do that without running to God, without including God. Like, have you ever been dumb enough to accept a calling from God and then to try to do the calling without God? Yeah, me either. No, I'm kidding. I've been dumb enough to do that. Man, it's such an easy mistake to make. It's so costly. Nehemiah weeps and then he prays and he fasts and then he just keeps praying. 
I mean, the rest of chapter 1 is Nehemiah praying, and he just prays and prays and prays. It says he prays for days upon days, and, and he's just confessing, and he's thanking God for his faithfulness, and he's asking God, please help me. Please give me favor. Please give me faith. Please give me words to say. He's just praying and praying and praying. The book of Nehemiah begins with prayer. It ends with prayer. Twelve prayers are recorded in it. I mean, Nehemiah is just not going to do this calling that God has called him to. He's not going to go out on his own. He's not going to do it without God. At every turn, he's including God and he's praying and he's asking God for his power. That's what Nehemiah does. So what do you pray about? Nehemiah sees a need. He can't shake it. He feels the pain and it dominates his prayers. So let me ask you a question. Do you think our prayers are an indication of our beliefs? Like, does what we pray to God reveal what we believe about God? If the answer is yes, then i got to ask myself, what do my prayers reveal about my beliefs? Like, if all I ever pray is, God, please bless this food and help me have a good day and help me be safe, like, what does that really reveal about my beliefs? Here's what I'm saying. If, if God calls you to something, he breaks your heart for a people, it's going to dominate your prayers, right? If you believe that God can actually do something, if you don't think he's some far away man upstairs with no you know, real connection to the earth down here, if you, if you believe he can actually do something and your heart is broken for a people, then it should dominate your prayers. It should be what you pray about. It should, shouldn't just be, God, thank you for this food and give me a good day. It should be, God, move. God, do miracles. God, give me favor. God, give me faith. God, give me words to say. I mean, it should dominate your prayers. And that's what, that's what Nehemiah does. He prays and he prays and he prays. But listen, he doesn't just pray. He doesn't leave it in the prayer closet. He takes it with him. He prays and he takes action. So in the story, king, the king sees Nehemiah, notices he's sad because Nehemiah is feeling the pain of the people in Jerusalem. King goes, what's wrong with you? Nehemiah tells him about What's happening in Jerusalem? And, and he goes, Nehemiah takes a step of faith. It says in verse 4 in chapter 2, Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? In other words, what do you want me to do? Why are you telling me this? So I prayed to the God of heaven. There again, right in the moment, the king's talking to him, and he's got, just a second, Lord, please. You no, know, he just prays in his mind, God, help me. Give me favor. Tell me what to say. And he said, I said to the king, if it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Okay, so I want you to get this. God presents Nehemiah with this great need in Jerusalem, right? Nehemiah doesn't brush it off. He allows himself to feel the pain, but he doesn't stay there, and he doesn't jump right into doing something. He feels the pain, and then he runs to the God of heaven. He prays, and he fasts, and now he takes a step. A step of faith. He goes, somebody's got to do something. And that somebody might as well be me. I can't let it stand. i got to get to work. And so when he's presented with an opportunity, he takes it. He tells the king. Because when God calls you, he calls you to action. He's not just keeping you informed. This isn't a news briefing. He's not just opening your eyes just so you know. He, no, he's, he's not keeping you informed about a problem or an injustice. He's opening your eyes so that you can take a step. 
so that you can do something, so that you can take action. But man, this, this maybe is the most difficult part for a lot of us. Taking that first step of action. Like, who am I to do this? I'm nobody. I can't do this. I don't have the right gifting to do this. Or we look at what it'll cost, what it'll cost us to answer God's calling on our life. Like we may have to move. We may not get to go to Disney World this year. Like our kids may not get to play travel ball because we're, we're doing something as a family for Jesus. And, and that's going to be bad because we're really sure that all of our kids are going to be professional athletes. And statistically, it's got to be true. We may have to face our fear of rejection. We may have to open our home. But we look at whatever the cost is, and we go, ah, you know what? I'm just going to pray. I'll just pray. God's calling us to do something. And we go, eh, I'll let somebody else do it. Or we don't know where to begin, so we do nothing. It's kind of that messy garage problem where you drive up to your garage and slowly, like a prize, your garage door goes up and revealed inside is a huge mess, right? And you walk past it every day and you need to clean it up, but it's so big you don't know where to start. Like, I'm not going to do anything. You don't know where to start, so you just do nothing. That can paralyze us. Or what about this one? We do something without really doing anything. Like we do a little something to make us feel better, but it doesn't really have an effect on anything. Like Nehemiah could have told a couple people and then stopped there like, well, I tried. He could have shared on his Facebook, like, hey, man, look at this bad stuff that's going on in Jerusalem. Look at what's happening. This is so sad. Or maybe he could have done something really big and like shared it on all four of his social media platforms. That would have been like crusader level. Help the people in Jerusalem. Hashtag walls for Jerusalem. Hashtag not about me. That sort of thing. He could have done something without actually doing anything to make himself feel better. Have you ever done that? I have. God quickens my spirit, draws my heart to a situation, a people. And I just, I'm so quick to just say a prayer, share a post, move on. God brings it to mind again or a different people, a different situation, say a prayer, share a post, move on. Say a prayer, share a post, move on. God's getting my attention, say a prayer, share a post, move on again and again and again. Say a prayer, share a post, move on. And I've deceived myself into thinking I actually did something. I did nothing. The one thing I did was make myself feel better so that I could remain numb to the calling and the unction of the Holy Spirit. But I really did nothing. It's a dangerous trap, isn't it? So, ask yourself this question. What is God calling me to do? What breaks my heart? I left some space in your notes. 
so you could write this, answer this question. Maybe you don't feel like you're good enough, strong enough, from the right family, not as good as dad or granddad or Mother Teresa or whoever. But you gotta remember the kingdom of God and the mission of God, this whole process, it's not like the NFL draft. It's actually the opposite. God uses weakness to shame strength. He uses the foolish of this world to shame the wise. He uses ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things in our world. So what's God calling you to do? Feel the pain. Run to God. And then take a step. Doesn't have to be a big step. Nehemiah's step was to ask a question. What's yours? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes for a moment. I want you to grab the notes. If you don't have, you didn't get the park news on your way in, that's okay. Grab something out of the seat back in front of you and answer that question. What is God calling me to do? What, what breaks my heart? Write that down. If you'll humor me, just write that down. Everybody in this room, grab a piece of something, write it down. I want to take a moment and I want to pray that God would bless these callings. If you don't know what that is, some of you, you know, man, you've already, you're already doing it. Still, write it down. I want to pray over it. Some of you, you don't know what it is. Just put a question mark. Commit to ask God over and over and over. Seek him until he tells you. But lift that paper up. If you don't have a paper, you can just lift your hand up, signifying, man, I've got a call that God has put on my life. Yeah, hands going up. I'll just lift it. I just want to pray. Keep, keep your hands up. God, if every person with their hands lifted left this place and took steps of faith to do what you've called us to do, all oh, the difference we would make in our world, in our city, in our family, in our neighborhood. So God, that's what I'm praying for. God, those that know what you're calling them to do, God, would you give them a clear next step, first step, that they would feel the pain, that they would run to you, but that eventually you would give them that step to take, God. And if there are those in this room who don't know what you're calling them to do, but they want to know, God, I pray that you would reward their seeking and asking and you would give them a clear calling, an assignment to make a difference in our world. Even today, even now, drop that in their hearts, Jesus. But we give these callings to you and we declare, as we hold our hands up, the hands that hold these, man, they, they're not good enough we can't use these hands to make a difference apart from your spirit at work in us and through us. So we declare we'll fulfill this calling, but only by your spirit and by your might. So fill us afresh and anew. Give us your faith and your spirit. In Jesus' name. One more thing I want to pray for really quick. I, I just sense that there's a group of people in this room, at North Campus, watching online, and 
you're kind of you thinking, man, I would like to, to want to do something for God. I would like to get caught up in something greater than myself. I would like to care about that. You can put your hands down, but I would like to care about that. I, would, I want a calling, but man, I don't even care. I'm just feeling apathetic. I'm just feeling like, eh, I'm just not there yet. Here's what I want to say to that group. Maybe, maybe you have yet to fully give your life over to Jesus Christ. That's the first calling, the calling to follow Jesus. And so I just, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I just want to give you a moment, wherever you're at right now, just a moment to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Don't worry about what God's calling you to. Just make a decision to follow Jesus. Just pray and go, God, I don't even, if this is true, I don't even know what to do or how to do it or I don't, I don't fully understand it, but I want you. I, I know my heart longs for you. Just ask God right now where you're at. Ask him to fill you. Ask him to change you and give him your life. And then when we have prayer time, I want to invite you to come up. If you raised your hand just with that calling, I want to pray. We want to pray over that calling. So come on up and get prayer. If you, if you want to give your life to Jesus, we would love to pray with you. Lord, we just ask that the seeds that were planted today, that they would find in the hearts of many good soil, that they would take root and bear fruit, the fruit of obedience, that we would go out of here and fulfill the calling you've placed on our lives. In Jesus' name.